All right. I mean, I'm actually set with levels. We're recording. Um, we're all here. Did you have any ideas? For topics? <laughs> I'll take that resounding it. silence as a no. <laughs> well, he didn't say who he was talking to. <laughs> I was talking to myself, uh, and the answer is no. <laughs> I have uh, one topic that Mary either go somewhere or just sink like a stone. So, yeah. Hello, welcome to another edition of the Gobeski Wallace Report. My name is Charlie Wallace. I am Adam Gobeski. And with us today, we have, uh, <laughs> <laughs> was I supposed to laugh at that delivery? <laughs> I was trying to get a response and got it from myself instead of you, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so with us in studio, we have uh good friend, Dan Hess. Welcome. Thank you. So you've never actually been on the podcast. I think this is the first time, which is, is surprising. I, I was on Cinematic Respect before I was on... Uh... The the old school Gobeski Wallace report. It's true. That's the yeah. Gateway podcast. <laughs> we get you on the more heavy stuff now. <laughs> I feel like I went backwards. Fortunately, the uh, the sound quality is better right now than it was on yes. cinematic respect. Yes, I'm convinced my microphone was not working correctly, and I was actually using the external <laughs> or the uh, internal laptop mic. Ah, uh, yes. Now I've I have also done that in the past without realizing it, and that's why. <laughs> That's why it's taken us 10 years to work on this latest Nick Brunson project, because that happened at one point. When I, I, I moved to Arizona, visited in Michigan for like a weekend, and during that weekend, like just got a whole bunch of people to record stuff, but had set it up incorrectly. So then when I got back to Arizona, I was like, oh, well, now I can't have them re-record it because I'm not by them. <laughs> so it's just been slowly, as technology improves, noise removal uh, technology also improves. <laughs> so now you can just call them up and have them record on their phone and send it to you, and it's better than what we would have oh, done yeah. 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> like we did with our narrator, Jason King, who you may have heard of. Oh, man. Me and Jason King go way back. <laughs> That's true. Do you go back farther than we go back? Yes. I went to oh, kindergarten wow. with Jason. Nice. I didn't meet you till first grade. Yeah, that's true. So. <laughs> Actually, I've known Jason since before kindergarten because he lived four do- doors down from me. Nice. I've known Jason since pre-kindergarten. Wow. I just yeah. ran into him at Bamboo Gardens in Grand Ledge, Michigan, the last time I was in Michigan a few months ago. Totally random. I love Bamboo Gardens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Walked in to get some, some uh, orange chicken, and Jason King was standing there. <laughs> Jason King! <laughs> it was great. Which is particularly surprising because he lives in East Lansing. So yeah, his wife was waiting for him out in the car. So like we waved to her, but ah. to this day I don't know if she saw us because oh, <laughs> there was just headlights and stuff. You know. <laughs> yeah, Jason King, the guest we got because he was basically a captive, a captive guest. <laughs> that sounds like Jason. He's, he's been uh, significantly harder to to get on the show <laughs> once I moved out of the same. <laughs> apartment is him <laughs> jason i have not known jason king since before kindergarten but he is probably also my oldest friend i think it's like sixth or seventh grade oh nice some sort of some sort of religious education thing and you could argue that he's actually maybe even closer with you having lived with you for so long yeah he he, he did not kill me so clearly something worked <laughs> If I really sat down and thought about it, I'll bet you I've known Jason King longer than anybody outside of my immediate family in my entire life. Because yeah. I think he may have been the first person I moved I, I met when we moved to the neighborhood when I was like four years old. 
because he was just a few doors down. Man, oh man, I wish Jason was here. <laughs> Inviting Jason out of the show now is like uh, planning a war. You, you got to give him a lot of a lot of notice and uh, got to draw up a lot of plans. You've got to attack on multiple fronts. <laughs> yeah, you got to figure out a way to flank him. And exactly. Halfway through the conversation, he realizes there's a microphone next to his head. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so I, I, I do have a question for Adam. And uh, it came up randomly earlier. And immediately I was like, this is a question to ask Adam later on the podcast. So well, I hope this is about how one alphabetizes their music collection. No, but Those I have thoughts on that. <laughs> if, we, if we want to talk about that later, I have a system. <laughs> but uh, so... There was a dinner place suggested to go get some dinner tonight. And I said, I'd be down for that or up for that or both. And it dawned on me that it's complete opposite, yet it means the exact same thing. And why is that? Why don't they mean the opposite things? And uh, my next immediate thought was, I bet you Adam would know. (laughs) (laughs) So Adam, why is it that I'd be up for that and I'd be down for that are the same exact meaning? Or are they not? Am I mistaken somehow? Is there some subtlety that I'm missing? Uh, I mean, I, I think as far as I know, they have the same meaning. I'm, I can't think of a subtlety offhand. Uh, I mean, I, I might have to disappoint you. I don't actually know. That's actually a, a cool linguistic observation that I don't know I've ever heard anyone make before. So that's really neat. Well, I think you should write uh, your uh, next paper on so, this. <laughs> Get published on this Dan one. Dan is figured out <laughs> on that paper. Yeah. All I ask is a uh, mention in the paper somewhere. (laughs) Credit to Dan Hess, who first pointed this out to me. Yes. (laughs) The first human in existence to ever make this observation. (laughs) Perhaps. Um, So I have two thoughts. Uh, One thought is just it's possible that they're different dialects. And the usage of one of them started in a separate region from the other. And then as, you know, people talk to each other, right, they sort of combined. And so such that we essentially had two competing versions of the same meaning. Or I guess, op- so then that's option one. Option 1A is that there is, in fact, some slight difference that just neither of us are picking up on. But maybe someone who has that difference does. Uh, option two might just be that it has something to do with uh, directional prepositions. Maybe it's some sort of like movement based thing up and down. Both have some sort of movement. And so we're like, yes, up is good. Down is good. Obviously, that kind of falls apart, right? Because we don't have like left and right. I'd be left for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't I'd make be sense. sideways for that. I, I'd be stationary for that. <laughs> but now I would interpret that, that as you don't want to go. <laughs> so <Yeah>. maybe <laughs> that's another well, way of so saying think- I'll stay here. You go. <laughs> Purely spitball here, but the left-right thing might actually be because we independently have like left-hand, right-hand stuff. So it could just be like a blocking thing from, oh, we already have uses for that sort of thing. So, but yeah, I don't know. I'm pulling (laughs) stuff out of my butt. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Growing up, I often felt like my various English teachers were doing just that. (laughs) Oh, I I can guarantee you that's true. (laughs) Having taught various linguistics courses and stuff where you have to sort of unlearn what people have learned in English class. Stuff like, what's the subject of a sentence? It's the doer of an action. No, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) The subject of a sentence is the thing that's in the subject position. (laughs) (laughs) 
right? Or what's a verb? It's a it's the action, right? Right. And it's like, well, again, no, it's not because we have all these verbs that don't denote actions and stuff. So I teach um, test prep for SAT and ACT, which is sort of bad for me because every time we get to the writing and language grammar part, I tend to go like the first time we do it. I always end up doing like this 10 minute segue about prescriptive English versus actual real English where I have to point out things like, okay, so they're going to test you on these things that aren't real things, so you're not going to be aware of them, but you have to know them because this is what the test wants. <laughs> you, you may have just cracked the code on why I feel like I've been, been a decent test taker my whole life, because I was always focused on what does this test want me to tell it versus what do yeah. I actually think is reality. <laughs> right. Yep. That's always the right way to do it. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> what yeah, are they looking like I for? Wanna, I went on a 10-minute digression on Saturday about why whom isn't really an English word. Really? It's like a fake. Uh, certainly now. I Obviously, back in the past at some point, whom like, was a real thing. But whom now seems to be this sort of weird prescriptive add-on rather than something people would actually use unless they've retrained them, their brains at some point to use whom. But like, if, if you said, you know, with whom are you going to the concert with or something? I mean, that's a real <laughs> word, right? Yeah, but I think it's uh, it's a learned thing. I don't think kids produce whom, right? But the cool thing that comes from a, a 2000 paper of uh, Nick Sobin and somebody else, but basically has this really beautiful argument that says, okay, so here you are. <laughs> Linguistics corner with Adam. Uh, <laughs> I love this segment. I honestly do. <laughs> so in English, uh, the accusative case, so me, her, them, the object case, whatever, uh, is default case in English, right? If you don't necessarily know what's going on, you default to the accusative case. So you say things like me too, or me and John went to the store, or it's me, right? If you're being like weirdly uh, formal in your register, right? That's where you start saying things like it is I, or this is he, <laughs> right? The way they taught you to answer right, phones, right. right? Of This is he, of just right. which... Even at the time, I just like I was so just like confused by this. I was like, no one would ever say this. <laughs> well, it's because uh, you get a subject case with copulas. That's the argument that is so. Um, so therefore, accusative case is supposed to be default case in English. So the word whom is the accusative version of who. So you get whom in all the places you would get him. I threw the ball to him. You threw the ball to whom? That's the idea. So given that accusative is the default case in English and what most people, when they're not saying, thinking about, say things like it's me, you should expect that you should be able to say, whom is it? And that should be the natural version. But it's not. But it's not. It's <laughs> who is it? So either for some reason, accusative case isn't the default in questions, which would be I mean, I guess possible, but weird. You'd have to do something stipulative. Or whom is an artificial thing that we've sort of created after the fact. So what's the general stance? Is that if a child wouldn't use it, then it's not the actual way that you're supposed to use language? Well, it's probably a gauge for how we actually are all talking to each other in real life, right? Exactly. All right. Because they just pick up what's around them. And if they're not picking it up, then obviously we aren't all using it that way. Correct. Yeah. Interesting. That's the idea. Do you buy into that belief? I've never heard that. That makes sense. Child acquisition stuff, you mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I find that stuff actually really interesting. Obviously, there's some stuff that kids don't acquire because of frequency. But 
who whom right should be pretty frequent mm-hmm. yeah right? right people use questions around kids all the right. time so the fact that they're not acquiring whom should be indicative down, of something talking down to them we're trying to simplify our language when we're talking to them at a young age could that be it uh could that, that is part actually it? part of it um there's actually this really cool ted talk i saw i don't know if it's actually true or not but it was neat where they basically um this guy had a kid and then wired up like his whole house with like microphones and videos to record how the kid acquired language. And one of the things they noticed was that as the child was about to acquire a new word or syntactic unit or something, the parents would subconsciously simplify their language to make it easier for the kids. So what you're telling me is basically we teach kids at a young age to use improper English and then we punish them for it via bad grades later on. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I th- you could probably make an argument as someone uh, made just in my semantics meeting um, this past Friday, which is actually, this is why like the who whom just came up in this. And that's why I was like interested in it to the point. Then it showed up on the PSAT stuff I was teaching on Saturday. And that's why they got a 10 minute digression on whom is, uh, is fake. (laughs) But, um, he pointed out that, uh, a lot of the problems that people have with the weird prescriptive stuff mirrors the problems that second language learners have with English. Ah, so essentially, everyone is a second language speaker of the prescriptive prestige form of English that you constantly get punished by your uh, teachers and stuff for using. <laughs> right. This is why people start making the uh, it's called hypercorrection. Where So, for instance, you got yelled at as a kid because you said me and John instead of John and I. Right. So at some point you decided, maybe not you, but one who possibly decided that uh I okay. okay I'm, whenever I'm in this coordinated subject of name and me, I should always use I to the point where they start producing things like between you and I, we could make this work, which is prescriptively incorrect because it should be between you and me because of prepositions take accusative case. Uh, I know a speaker who actually will regularly produce things like her and I, which is crazy on some level, right? Because that's accusative plus nominative, but because they've learned that, oh, I guess it's just that I put I when I talk about myself in these coordinated subjects, that's what I do. And then you get this bizarre accusative nominative case thing. So, but that's like the sort of uh, error that a second language speaker would potentially make. Hmm. Wow. Out of curiosity, can you hear the dog downstairs? I just heard it. Yes. You have a new dog. (laughs) Yeah. Named Chasser. Chasser, I believe, is the correct pronunciation. Chasser. Yeah, we got him last Monday. He's he's a handful, but he's he's actually really good. He's 12 weeks, which is weird to talk about. I know people talk about babies that way. Like, oh, how many weeks are they? Or how many months are they? (laughs) So it's weird to talk about a dog that way. Well, he was 12 weeks last week, and now he's 13 weeks. Having grown up in a uh, household where my mother raised puppies, right? This is not unusual to me at all. Oh, not at all. <laughs> yeah. So I was telling Dan, I'm learning a lot of interesting things because we, we did used to have dogs growing up. And one was Casey's and one was Leslie's. and But they were really my parents' dogs. They were the ones who had to train them and do everything. So there's a lot of things about puppies that I'm just kind of learning right now, like that they can't pay attention to anything for more than about five seconds. <laughs> So in a lot of ways, it's difficult. In a lot of ways, it's easy so far. So uh, how does Marin feel about this, your cat? Because uh, I know she's been getting 
steadily worse as uh, as time goes on, <laughs> given by her uh, degraded reactions to me every time I yeah. see her subsequently. So, Dan, what are your feelings on Marin so far? Uh, I thought she was playful. I it seemed like she was playful, either that or she was genuinely trying to harm me. <laughs> has, has she hissed line. at you yet? No, no hissing, and uh, it didn't take long, and she was already coming up and like hugging me and letting me pet her. Uh, right. That was just a little while ago. So, but the dog wasn't in the room, so I think she the the edge was off. Uh, by by hugging him, I think he means like going up and rubbing up against her. Yes, leg. I think you remember that, Adam, right? Yeah, marking you with your with her scent, yeah. <laughs> well, she used to do that with me, and then, like, the last time we visited, suddenly she was just, like, constantly hissing and unhappy about it. And Charlie claimed that this was because there were too many people in the house. Oh, absolutely. But the, oh. T- but the time before, there had also been too many people in the house, and she had not had the same reaction. So I, I would not- argue that that was the first time she genuinely remembered you. <laughs> oh. Oh. Ouch. <laughs> oh, no. Ouch. <laughs> Some wounds just apparently never heal, huh? <laughs> if my cat hates you, you're in very good company. <laughs> she hates my father-in-law, that that's for sure. <laughs> she just come up behind his head, snuck up behind him, smacked him on the head, and then run out of the room. <laughs> but yeah, she's reacting reasonably well to the dog. She's We set up a couple of perches for her. So that she can be up out of the way and she just kind of stares at him. There was a time earlier this week where we had him in the kitchen and she was in the kitchen and she went up and touched noses with him and Mm -hmm. then ran away. So that's where we're at right now. All right. And then she also hissed. I should be fair. She touched noses, then decided she didn't like it and hissed and then ran away. Okay. So we'll see. We're doing it very slowly. We've got a pen set up downstairs right now to kind of keep him contained. But it's... It's a learning process for both of them. So uh, Dan Hess is here, which means I can tell one of my uh, favorite stories that peripherally involves Dan Hess. So. <laughs> peripherally involves? Huh. <laughs> yeah. So this would have been uh, late 2001, early 2002. I think it would have been after the Great Warning War of 2001. Oh, my gosh. I remember but, uh, that. I was a central player in that uh, war. <laughs> I don't think we've even or, talked about that, have we? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think we I've ever thought have, about that in but, at least 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> but my story is about instant messenger, which is why the great warning war comes up. Cause that happened on AOL instant yes, messenger, which was a thing. <laughs> if you remember, but I was on instant messenger once talking to Dan Hess. And then I said, Oh man, my uh, computer's making weird noises. I'll be right back. So he said, okay. So I logged off. I restarted my computer and uh, it turned out that the hard disk was crashing catastrophically. As in, it was just like completely corrupted. And it was just like, oh, gosh. So I had to go to Best Buy, get a new hard disk, reinstall Windows, and set everything up. And so by the time I got to Instant Messenger, it was it was literally a week later. <laughs> I finally got it back up. I logged back Instant Messenger, saw Dan was online, clicked on him, and then said, back. At which point, Dan has said, man, I've been sitting here waiting this whole time. Where have you been? <laughs> Like he completely rolled with it, and I. So that's my. That's one of my favorite stories involving Dan Hess. I miss Instant Messenger a lot. There were a lot of good times on that. None of the modern apps hold a candle. Yeah, no kidding. It was great. Was that just about the time that we were using it? That it was in college and probably more than anything. Probably kids these days would be like, "This is garbage. You can't even. <laughs> I can't even 
post, you know, pictures with effects right. on this thing. So you mean right. text messaging that you can't do everywhere in the world? <laughs> right. You have to be in a specific spot. Tethered to, to a desk. <laughs> I have to leave an away message? What does that even mean? <laughs> right. Right. Well, I mean, how are you not just available all the time? <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> away messages were the most fun part of coming up with funny stuff to put in your away message. Kids these right. days just, they wouldn't get it. <laughs> Why is it that every time I text you, it keeps telling me every rose has its thorn? Well, I don't get it. <laughs> Why do you keep telling, reciting the lyrics of the song to me? <laughs> Uh, it just wouldn't work today. <laughs> well, one of the features they had on uh, Instant Messenger as a way to, uh, I guess, encourage good behavior and punish bad behavior, although I doubt anyone ever actually used it that way, <laughs> but was that you could warn people if they had done something bad, like you clicked warn and then they were at a percentage and then the higher the percentage got, like the slower their their aim went, I guess. And then if they went to like 100%, like they couldn't log on for a while until it cooled back down. <laughs> yeah, like blocked them completely. Yeah. <laughs> this is before people realized what internet trolls were. I mean, that's what it was. <laughs> I, the greatest part was registering new screen names that were like almost exactly what your other screen name was. So that when somebody got you blocked because you were at 100%. You would like re-register it and replace the lowercase L with a one or something <laughs> and then go back at them. And it worked at least a couple of times before people caught on. They'd be like, wait a minute, why is it asking me if I'll accept this person's message? It must be because I've warned them so many times. It's, you know, giving me an option. And then as soon as they would click yes, it would be a new screen name and you would immediately warn them. <laughs> <laughs> and this went on for like, what, a week? That week, and, yeah, and it was dozens like of freshman uh, year, two thousand one, right? dozens yeah, of screen name registers later, right. we were all like banned from AIM for probably a, another week. <laughs> I remember also things like uh, you would make new screen names that almost looked like one of your enemy's friends' screen names. Oh, that's so right. They would click on you, and then you would warn them. Like, yes, door. yes, that's right. I forgot about that. Like Gobeski with a zero instead of an O. <laughs> and then they'd accept it and you'd be bam warned <laughs> i remember that this went on for a while and, it did uh, <laughs> and uh we determined it we discovered at some point that if people were in a chat room they couldn't warn each other and so that's where the, the negotiations for the truth <laughs> <laughs> i forgot about that part that's true I but remember. you're right yeah we all yeah. we all then, met in neutral ground <laughs> right and then somebody got one of their friends involved who didn't know us. Uh, I don't really remember who it was. I just remember that their screen name involved something about an aardvark. And because it was in the middle of everyone creating new names, like I remember one of Charlie's new screen names was Tito Puente Sucks or something. Yes, I remember that. And I remember it took me like at least a couple of days before I discovered who it was. <laughs> who is this Tito Puente's person? <laughs> Right, but there was like an aardvark who we were all trying to figure out who it was, and it turned out it was just like some third party who'd been roped in. <laughs> but that's like the main things I remember. And then just like there were two sides, and Randy Keating was like rallying people, and then somebody else was rallying people. <laughs> Randy, Randy would be the one to rally people. <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking earlier about how he's uh, 
he's actually a councilman in yeah, Tempe <laughs> councilman. Yes. He's yep, still rallying people to this day. Slightly north of me. <laughs> so, yes. so that's the great warning war of 2001. <laughs> How did that turn out? Did we just all get bored of it? I think so. Basically. <laughs> I, I, I think we went into the chat room, negotiated truce, and that was it. Yeah, I think it just ran its course. <laughs> yeah. But it was a fun week in like October it was. or November. <laughs> is, the, is that a form of cyberbullying? <laughs> probably uh, was probably, then. Probably, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we were all bullying each other uh, equally. <laughs> There was a lot of treachery that week, too. <laughs> there, there were a lot of alliances that were shattered <laughs> randomly. Oh a lot of people shifting sides because right. they thought it'd be funny. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Did they talk you into joining them? No, I just thought it'd be funny to betray you. <laughs> Warn. Right, Warn. <laughs> All right, so I have a music question. Is it about uh, alpha- alphabetizing CD collections? It's uh, It's not unfortunately we'll get to that eventually right (laughs) yeah oh i did have a question though all right here here's an alphabetizing question then uh i I recently picked up the dave brubeck quartet's timeout album and so now i don't know where to put it do i put it under d for dave or do i put it under b for brubeck actually you know i've i've had this uh this internal struggle myself in the past with uh things like a, an example of that would be like Dave Matthews band also did it, does it go under D or M or you know whatever I think I've settled on personally if it's like the name of the band I just go with the first letter of the whole thing so like Dave Brubeck quartet I was put under I would put under D but if it was okay. like Dave Brubeck as a solo project it'd go under B okay B is in Brubeck kind of what I was leaning at too but then where do you put like uh where it gets Tricky for me is like Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Does it go under T for oh. Tom, P for Petty, or H for Heartbreakers? I think for me it would probably go under P for Petty. I know my uh, Paul McCartney and Wings albums are currently under M for McCartney. <laughs> right, because yeah. we would look under W for Wings, yeah. right? Right. <laughs> and it's not that you can like split them up because, you know, like Band on the Run is Paul McCartney and Wings, right? But like Speed of Sound is just Wings. So it's not like you can have a couple of them here at M and then some over here at W, right? Because that gets weird. Right. Yeah. I for for something like that, I kind of default to like, well, how do I think of them? I mean, and and especially with somebody like that, where Tom Petty's also got a few solo albums, I just put them all under Petty. Uh, but do you put them all in chronological, both solo and Heartbreaker albums, or do you have like Heartbreaker albums and then the solo projects, but both under P? I put them all chronological in my case, like under one umbrella. Because I, sorry, I assume you're putting them chronologically because you're not a monster. (laughs) In fact, for a second, I thought you were going to ask me, do you put them in chronological order? And my answer is going to be, well, I'm not a savage, so yes. (laughs) (laughs) Really, for me, with the Beatles is the final album, except for Yellow Submarine, but really those two at the end. I only listen to discographies in alphabetical order. It's more interesting that way. <laughs> really good at really good at sense right. 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 <laughs> When you start with Abbey Road and end with Yellow Summer. <laughs> so yeah, even if if I end up with like a best of or something, I've got to put that one. I've got to put it into whenever that compilation was released yes. because otherwise you've got parts of the catalog that came after that compilation that aren't going to be on it. And if you put it at the end, then it doesn't make any sense. 
you're excluding right, a yes. whole chunk. But whether or not you should even have compilations are another argument. Oh, interesting. Well, I think compilations can be interesting in that a lot of times they have uncollected stuff, particularly older stuff where there were like single exclusive releases. Right. That's true. And then a lot of times, right, like you just start by buying the best of it and then you start actually getting the right. discography. Of like at some, at some point, if you really, if somebody's really got a good catalog, you need to toss out that best of <laughs> and get the albums and hear the songs in context with the songs around them and the album itself. Now, of course, I don't know how much that applies these days because it seems like artists less and less are making like cohesive albums, but pretty much outing yourself as an old person right now I yeah i know it's uh <laughs> when it comes to music and collecting music though i'm extremely curmudgeon so <laughs> all right but anyway to my actual music question uh, <laughs> which which might end up being kind of a hot take i don't know but uh we like hot takes uh, here at the gw for, report we're a fan for the longest for the longest time one of the gaps in my musical knowledge was led zeppelin Oh, okay. Of of just like I, you know, I vaguely know Led Zeppelin songs, and I can pick Robert Plant's voice out of a lineup. But beyond that, uh, so I decided I would start at the beginning because I saw a copy of Led Zeppelin one on sale somewhere, so I picked it up. And uh, is it supposed to be a good album? Because to me, it just sounded like a sort of extended jam session. So basically, I want you to explain why I should like Led Zeppelin, or at least their first album. Who are you asking specifically? Uh, that's a general question because I I certainly know that Charlie is a is a big oh yeah leadhead. Um, I don't know what their fans are called <laughs> <laughs> a leadite. Yep. <laughs> um, you I, here's what I'd say: you'd better enjoy that or don't bother. I mean, their I would say their first album isn't their most cohesive. I mean, you start getting a little bit later. I think the albums work better as albums but i mean it's a lot of that i mean it's very blues based it's very there is a lot of jams where they do sort of like extended extended songs that go on a little bit longer than you might have in other with other bands but so no i'm not going to try to defend if you don't like that album i wouldn't say go any further i believe at that time jimmy page would have been fairly fresh out of the yardbirds right so would that yeah have he would have been very any very, am, yeah. impact on on the concept that maybe Led Zeppelin themselves hadn't really found their own. That's true. Real Robert Plant yet. was like super young, I think, too. He might have been like even twenty, like twenty-one. He was he was very young at that point. So I mean, I would say maybe take a jump a few years later and see if you're interested in it. But I mean, I would say if you don't like that, you're probably not going to like later stuff. Either. I'm not going to try to defend it too much. The thing I kept thinking when I listened to it was like this. Reminds me almost of like Fish, who I also don't oh, like. Oh, okay. Mm. Interesting. Of just, yeah. just like extended jam sessions yeah. that I feel loosely like, are a song. I'm, I'm trying to remember what's off there. Really. I feel album. like I Fish is one of those bands where like you're either on the wagon or you're off the wagon, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I'm not on the wagon. Apparently, I'm, bi- I'm big into song structure and stuff, I guess. Okay. Yeah, it just seemed like, I mean, yeah, I get like the blues influence, but it didn't like, I guess nothing there also seemed particularly groundbreaking to me, but maybe like my mental timeline of when things were happening was a little off. Or drugs. I didn't know if maybe I just needed to be on a lot of drugs to really appreciate it. It always helps. Which which (laughs) brought me back to fish. (laughs) You know, that, that brings an interesting thought, though. So if you've got this first album... 
if you don't think that it really fits with the rest of their catalog or they hadn't really found their footing yet or, or whatever, some bands way late in their career, let's say they make a last album right before they officially call it quits or whatever. Sometimes they won't even consider that last one as like part of their official canon, right? Or after like some some key players have left the band or whatever, you know, some of their fans might say, well, that one doesn't really even count. You know, that, that album's not really that band anymore. Like Pink Floyd after Roger Waters left or the clash after Mick Jones and Topper Heaton left, you know, stuff like that. Could you make a similar argument for a first album of a band? If even if all the, the people are there, if it wasn't really them as you think of mm. what they became, I don't know. I don't think you can. I mean, I think it's important to know like where they came from mm-hmm. towards where they're going. Um, yeah. But I don't know. Maybe if you can think of an example of what something if, that's like you would something you would want to throw out. What What if it would have been like uh, before they were, you know, they a pre major label debut thing, like when they were just a garage band oh. kind of thing? Like, would you consider that stuff part of their canon? Oh, like uh, Coochie Pop for Hooting the Blowfish or. Uh, that's not the first place my head went. (laughs) (laughs) Hootie and the Blowfish and the Verve Pipe weren't the first places my head went. Oh, you're not just constantly immersed in in 90s (laughs) alternative. (laughs) I'm often immersed in 90s alternative, but not necessarily Hootie and the Blowfish and the Verve Pipe. (laughs) I mean, for me, the the one band that immediately sprang to mind actually was Delamitri, who did the song Roll to Me. That's their big hit in the United States. you guys know what I'm talking about? No. Look around there, well, pretty baby. Got it. Oh, yeah. Got it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so most of their uh their their stuff is similar to that, right? That's sort of like upbeat. I mean, somewhat upbeat. Sometimes they got some sorry stuff too, but that's sort of like alternative jangly guitar REMs kind of almost feel to it. But their first album from 1985 is very much sort of like much closer to like the 80s synth pop side of things. And it's like completely different from anything they mm. subsequently released. And like to the point where like they did have like a best of retrospective active after that I don't think has a single track or anything from that album. That's like the only example I can think of that uh, springs to mind. I'm having a hard time thinking of, of examples of of that myself. Yeah, I, it's, I mean, it's easy to think of like the strong debut album, right? But right. Although I guess... um. I know the Moody Blues put out an album before they got their main lineup that I, I'm willing to bet a lot of fans don't really consider to be the same because they were more of like a British blues band at that point, too, before they shifted to like the psychedelia prog rock stuff they right. are probably best known for. Weren't they, didn't they have a bunch of like kind of hard rock stuff really early on, too? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, so I their big hit before they became the Moody Blues was a song called Go Now, which was actually like an R&B cover. Like they did a lot of R&B kind of stuff, British R&B. But then, but they also had a different lineup, right? Like they had, uh, their lead guitarist was Denny Lane, who actually went on to become part of Wings. So it's, everything's related here. <laughs> it's all about Wings, really, in the end. Yeah. The, both the TV Turns show out. as well as the uh, the band. <laughs> <laughs> See, Dan listened to some of our podcasts. I did. I had a, oh, I had on a, the way up. I had a ten hour drive on the way here, so I listened to a couple. <laughs> I definitely picked up a Wings reference in there. So, and appreciated. So it's not just synchronicity. <laughs> I feel like I got a lot of catching up to do. I got one. I got to get one of those uh, raspberries or whatever. 
Oh, the raspberry pie. Yeah, yeah. The ra- that's it. Yeah, the raspberry pie. I, Mark Van Lake had one of those recently. I was out in California. He had one of those, and I was absolutely astounded by it. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, speaking of video games, it, uh, it took me 10 years or so, but I finally, this past week, got a PlayStation 3. Oh, no kidding. Congrats. Yep. It was, it was 20 bucks at Goodwill. <laughs> what What have you been itching to play? What are you playing? So I actually already owned a PlayStation 3 game and that I bought the Katamari game for PlayStation. If I don't buy it now, at some point I'll get a PlayStation 3 and then I won't be able to play the game unless I already have it. So you bought a game for a system you didn't have, assuming that one day you'll have that system. And I was correct. <laughs> it's good planning but, yeah. but so then i so then i basically uh went to google and just typed in best ps3 exclusive games and so then just like bought a couple of those games off the list so i got god of war 3 oh yeah which i started to play and then remembered that god of war 2 had ended on a cliffhanger but for me that cliffhanger had also been 10 years ago so i was like i don't actually remember what's happening <laughs> uh and then i bought a uh, little big planet because that was supposed to be good. And then an RPG called, uh, what was it? It's like uh, Nino Kuni, Wrath of the White Witch or something like oh, this. Oh, that's the anime one with the really good cutscenes. Yeah, with yeah with Studio Ghibli cutscenes. And it's from the same company that the Professor Layton games. So I was like, all right, sign me up. And uh, I was I was going to buy Uncharted, but uh, I couldn't actually find a GameStop that had a copy of it. So, so yeah, I, I finally joined the PlayStation 3 ranks. It's... So when are you going to get a, a, a PlayStation 4? 10 years? Probably in another 10 years, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're celebrating the 10th anniversary of the podcast. <laughs> so I was an Xbox 360 person. Uh, we've kind of talked about this, but because Bioshock for a while was a uh, 360 exclusive, and I really wanted to play Bioshock. And then because I had a 360, and then Charlie had a 360, I was able to talk Brianne, my wife, and Doug, my brother, into also getting 360s. And so we've been constantly playing online with each other. In order to play online, you have to have the gold membership, which costs money. But as a thing for that, uh, as a a perk for being a gold member, uh, twice a month you get a free Xbox 360 game, but also a free Xbox One game. And they basically say, hey, yeah, the next whenever you buy your Xbox One and log in, we'll just have these games waiting for you. Uh, So that basically means I'm probably going to get an Xbox One. (laughs) <laughs> uh, that's going to be my next gen purchase. Their marketing ploy worked. Yeah, yeah no, I, even like I was consciously aware that that's what they were doing, and I was like, you know what, it's working. <laughs> Good on you, because because there go. weren't any like exclusive titles for like one system or the other that I were like I had to play. Right, uh, particularly especially like back when it came out. Like maybe now there might be like one or two. Like is Last Guardian even out yet? Uh, I think it did come out. Yeah. And people were a little bit unimpressed with it just because the I don't know if it's the Guardian or whatever that was following you around is kind of cat like on purpose. And people don't like dealing with cats. (laughs) It's like, go through this door. And the cat's like, I don't know. (laughs) When I feel like going through the door, I'll go through. (laughs) This is not a fun game. (laughs) Well, anyway, Dan, thank you very much for being on the being on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome back anytime. Absolutely. Well, anytime that we're recording. I mean, (laughs) you're welcome back the other times, but it won't mean anything. I'll just call you and leave long voicemails and 
Say, edit as you choose. We'll use them. <laughs> if you do that, we'll play them. <laughs> We've done that. For another edition of the Go Basky Wallace Report, my name is Charlie Wallace. I'm Adam. I'm Dan. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the show. Make sure to check out GobeskyWallaceReport.com. We've got lots of exciting opportunities for you to entertain yourself there. Oh, I thought you were talking about job opportunities. The job opportunities we have don't pay, so they're really more of unpaid internships. And you can follow us on Twitter, at GW Report, and you can like us on Facebook. So if you're looking for an internship, talk to Charlie. An unpaid internship that gives no letter of recommendation. Just the satisfaction of a job well done. But you can stay at Charlie's house. Um... All right. And thanks for listening. Everyone? Doug? Doug. <laughs> Unpaid intern Doug. Maybe, maybe Amber, you can play this one to your kids. Some really uh, in-depth linguistics. Yeah. What's instant <laughs> messenger? <laughs> Mom? <laughs> What's 9-11? <laughs> I did make a concerted effort to uh, not cuss, which is hard for me because even at work, I work with a bunch of like former and cor- current sailors. So like it, you know, workplace language isn't really a concept there. <laughs> <laughs> so I really have nowhere in my life where I need to filter myself. <laughs>